Happy Mother's Day. I, uh, I'm Seth. I get to preach this text here on Mother's Day. I don't know if it was 100% on purpose or partially on purpose that I get to talk about the pain of childbirthing and groaning until now here on Mother's Day. But um, someone asked me, what qualifies you to teach on this? And I said, well, I witnessed it once. So there you go. That's, uh, that's uh, there you go there. Uh, but we, we all love controversies, right? I mean, it's like part of what uh, why we, controversies are what keep us engaged, keep us entertained. We look in, we go, what's going on there? Uh, the controversies are on the news, they're on the internet, they're back and forth. That we are going to do some controversy here today, all right? So you may not know about this controversy, but it is a lot of years old, thousands of years old controversy. You might have heard about people who don't like parts of the Bible, right? Like most people. Like if you're honest, you're like, you get to parts of the Bible, and you're like, I don't like that part of the Bible. But there are people uh, bold enough, audacious enough to actually cut out whole parts of the Bible to make it more conveniently fit what they're trying to do. Like you might have heard about the slave owner's Bible that they went through and cut out all the stuff about liberation and rebellion and most of the book of Exodus, et cetera, et cetera, because they wanted people to be concerned about otherworldly hope and not be preoccupied with justice on earth. You might have heard about uh, how the founding fathers, some of the Americas, you know, like these atheists who want to turn the Bible into like a good moral handbook. They cut out the cut out some of the stuff. They wanted to kind of just keep people morally uh, in line without uh, challenging them to think about the Lord and his things. But there's someone, a controversy even older than those, that comes up in this text, this guy named Marcion, who was trying to teach the church that all that mattered was their souls and the otherworldly hope. And he cut out this exact text that we're talking about here today. So that's kind of an irrelevant controversy as far as we're concerned. But it's controversial historically. And so I'm introducing it like controversy. But there is this kind of belief that other people have about Christians, that all they care about is your soul and some otherworldly, somewhere else, pie in the sky thing. And this text directly contradicts that. And so it may not be a controversy to you, but in the early church, which thought that bodies in the physical world is disgusting, it sags and seeps and wrinkles and turns gray and there's pain, and there's nerves, and there's, uh, you know, malformity, and there's tension, and you mean to tell me that God made that, you know, that if you got that bad of a product off the shelf, you'd get your money back. But here you are saying the divine author, creator of all things, this is what he came up with, was this pile of decaying matter? Yeah, Right. So you see why people might want to cut this out of the Bible, that, the, that, that, God, that God cares about the substance of things, not just the spirit of things. Uh, and so what we're going to enter into is how like actually childbirth is raising two questions here, the, the metaphor of childbirth here. One, how is it that something that is like the most natural thing is actually such a miserable experience leading up to it? How does that happen? Why does all this, all, all this, why is it the, the most, like the thing that we're made to do, why is it such a difficult process, whether it, like, whether it happens or not, it's, why is it so difficult if it's the most natural thing? But then also, it's, it's a picture of this depth of how productive our pain might actually be. 
and entering into this space of the metaphor of childbirth as being representative of all things, but also the question of childbirth of like, if God made our bodies to do this, why is it hurt so bad? And that's where we're going to see these three things in this text. All right. So we're going to look at three things. One is uh, this productive pain. Uh, we're going to talk about total renewal of like, why are things so painful and difficult all the time? What do we have to look forward to? And then we're going to talk about this work of hopeful waiting. And we're going to see all three of these things here. So let me pray and then we'll talk. All right. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd help us live into the tension this text creates and enable us to be uh, people who uh, hold the reality of your creation, of your fallen creation, and of your going to be renewed creation, that we can hold all three of those things together. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So first we have this in Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider, uh, that could be translated, I am convinced that the sufferings of this present time. So first we want to talk here is Paul is recognizing that suffering is real. Suffering is a problem. Suffering is difficult. So often, if you're looking at a purely naturalistic worldview, suffering is not real. It is just a subjective experience of certain nerve endings firing in a certain way, trying to get you to avoid that so that you can pass on your genes more effectively. Suffering then is not actual. It is just productive in that you're trying to avoid pain and reproduce children. And so suffering's about trying to live longer, avoid it, live longer. It's, it's just an illusion created by atoms that are firing in your mind. So both in naturalism, suffering's not real, but also like a, a growing popularity is like this kind of neo-pagan, a Buddhist worldview, which is that suffering is just a product of misplaced expectations, that if you are suffering, that is your fault for having bad expectations on the world, that if you could just eliminate expectations and desire, then suffering would go away and you couldn't, it wouldn't actually be a problem for you. And so suffering is either not real or it's your fault. And here we have in the Bible text, Paul is highlighting suffering is real and it is difficult to make sense of. That the fact that suffering has to be explained and that biblical authors are explaining suffering is them acknowledging that it requires explanation. So if you're thinking suffering's not that big of a deal or God doesn't care about it, his, his, uh, his spirit through the Apostle Paul is acknowledging both the reality and the difficulty that suffering creates. I consider, I'm convinced that the sufferings of this present time, now what does he mean by this present time? What he means here is that we are in this in-between space in world history. That Christ, born of a virgin, substitutionary death, buried, resurrected, sends his spirit a long chunk of time, eventually Jesus can come back and make all things new. That we are in this present time, the time between the resurrection of Christ and the second coming of Christ, and that there is a type of suffering in this parenthetical time that we have to make sense of. How do we, if Christ has conquered sin and death, and if Christ is going to make all things new, what is the deal with all this in-between time, this present time? What is it? Well, how do we make sense of this? And he is saying that there is a specific type of suffering that is in this present time that is psychologically and physically difficult. That this suffering of this present time is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Right? So I've now watched my wife give childbirth twice. Right? And uh, I'll tell you something that I didn't do was while she was in labor, tell her, this verse. 
sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to glory. Get out of my face! You know, like it's just like, yeah. Maybe she was saying it to herself and it helped. I don't know. But I was like, I'm not going to be the one to uh, call it. Cause, so this is not minimizing suffering. This is maximizing perspective and future glory. Right? Like there's a moment where you have this buildup in pregnancy where the, uh, the, the pangs of childbirth get uh, more frequent and more painful and they escalate, escalate, escalate. And then all of a sudden there's a child and I've heard it said before, and I agree with this, the miracle is not that someone would have one child, but they would then have a second child. Because <laughs> there's something about the experience of a baby that gives you this selective amnesia, I guess, I've heard, they go like, I could do that again. And like, but four and a half minutes ago, it's like 10, like this is like, if you're trying to evaluate the pain of your life, you know that 10 is like unmedicated childbirth. And so if you're a man, you have to start at nine and go down no matter what it is you're going through. And that's just, and you, you just went through 10 out of 10. And now all of a sudden you're like, I could do that again. Like, I don't, I'm not like that at all. I get really pouty about really nothing like pain. And I'm going like, I guess I'll never, uh, you know, uh, eat that food again because it gave me a little tummy ache, you know, and I'll do that again. And this is, this is the, the whole section here is this metaphor of childbirth as perspective giving, right? You receive a child and you go, it was worth it. You receive a child and you're not tempted to minimize the pain, but you're able to, with perspective, reflect back on the pain and see the productivity of the pain. And so we're calling this that this pain is productive. Not that it's not pain, not that it's not difficult, but that our entire life, the sufferings of this present time, the persecution, the, 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 the physical decay of the body, uh, the sinning and being sinned against, the, the frustration that comes with our, our rebellious uh, fabric of reality is productive pain. That Paul is saying that there is a sense in which all of our pain is likened to childbirth. It's really difficult. And when you are with Christ in glory, sharing with him in proximity, reflecting back, you won't even be tempted to do the calculus of, was it worth it? Like if you're holding your newborn child, you're not going like, yeah, but was the pain worth it? I mean, someone might do that, but I've yet to talk to a woman who's like, I was actually tempted to think, was it worth it? They're tempted to think it was barely worth it, but they're, they're not tempted to think, was it worth it? You know, and so there's just this difficult. And so Paul is saying, when you, experience the second coming of Christ. I'm not, tell, I'm not minimizing your pain. I'm not saying your pain's not pain. I'm telling you, you will have this selective amnesia. It's not worth comparing. This is perspective. This is the attempt to have the wisdom of hindsight ahead of time. Like imagine yourself 10,000 years from the future, then retell your story about how you responded to your suffering this week and ask yourself how you wish you would like to deal with it. Now, it's not just perspective. It's not just wisdom. It's not just insight. 
but it's actually our relational experience of God that enables and energizes us to be able to do this. A couple of chapters earlier in Romans 5, Paul's talking about sufferings as well. And he says this, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, if you're like new to the church, you're going like, I knew those Christians were psychos. Rejoicing and suffering, that's masochism. What's wrong with you? You know, but here's what you, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that he's going to go on explaining how suffering is productive. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Now, pause there. Part of the reason... We are so bad at making sense of our suffering is because we have this like deep sense of mistrust that God is going to somehow shame us. That we're going to trust him and then end up being embarrassed. So revealing like this overexposure, being left out to dry, being like left to explain ourselves apart from God, like that fear of shame is the, is the driver here. And what, what pushes that out is because we're able to rejoice because, not because we're wise, not because we have perspective, not because we've, we've heard from God, but because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It is actually the Spirit reassuring our hearts of his affection for us us that enables us to trust him through suffering in any capacity. That when you trust that the author of the universe has affection and regard for you, then you are able to trust his heart even when you can't trace his hand. Then you're able to say, I don't know what he's doing, but I know it's for my benefit somehow, so I will trust him. Then you're able to say, I know he's working these things together for my good, so I will trust him with the outcome even if I don't can't track with him along the way. It is actually the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit reminding us of God's love for us that gives us the capacity to cling to him in suffering. And so when it says here in Romans 8, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Uh, for the creation is waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. What he's getting at here is that, that the, all of the cosmos is broken and all of the, of the creation is waiting to see the culmination of God's love for his chosen people. And that when you have a sense of yourself as being a child, a son, a daughter, someone who's receiving an inheritance from God most high, then the peaks and valleys of our physical, emotional, relational pain are actually rideable and sustainable and we can make it. Like I think about Mother's Day, right? And I'm talking about the pain of childbirth, the pain of creation. It goes back to... uh, Genesis chapter three, that when sin enters the world, God says to the woman, um, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. And he says to the man, cursed is the ground because of you. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth. What we're getting at here is that there are two types of rebellion. That there is moral rebellion, which is going against what God says we ought to be doing. But there's also like this biological or physical rebellion, which is uh, hairs turning gray, 
of cartilage wearing out in your knee, of lower back pain, of stubbing your toe, of uh, cancer developing in, in cells, of like the, the, the literally God designed things to be a certain way. And at an even DNA genetic level, the whole world is rebelling. We're, we're breaking off from our designed purpose. And some of that is moral and Christ dies for that. But some of that is biological, physical, and God's going to eliminate even that reality. And so on like a Mother's Day situation, like I, I think about it's not just the pain of the childbirth. But this includes like the pain of conception of not conception. This includes the pain of raising kids through different developmental seasons. This includes the pain of doing so apart from or even having a strained relationship with your own mother. Like the generational breakdown of like interpersonal, of of having to go through Mother's Day grieving the loss of your mom or your mom's influence, of being disappointed by what your mom was or wasn't. Like there's, there's so many layers to the pain besides just pure sin that we have to understand that the world and existence in it is marked by all these different types of suffering. And our capacity to see this broad scope of metaphor that the whole creation is groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. But God is using that pain, not wasting that pain, leveraging that pain. Like this is why people go to personal trainers. Is you're saying, inflict productive pain on me. This is why when a personal trainer asks you to do something and it hurts and they say, trust me, this will help you. You go, okay. You're kind of yielding to expertise, yielding to experience, yielding to perspective, saying, I don't like when, like when people talk about going to physical therapy, like that's always them talking about signing up for productive pain. It's not a pleasant experience. And that same level of deference you might have to a doctor of physical therapy, we need to have that greater level of deference by a bajillion more to God. (laughs) I don't like it. It doesn't feel good, but I trust what you're doing and it might make sense in the end insofar as my finite brain can make sense of things. That's productive pain. But what we're actually looking forward to is not just an explanation, but actually redemption. This total renewal. And this is why the the, the people cut this text out because people want to have this otherworldly vision of heaven, this pie in the sky, no more problems dynamic. We're going, what are we actually looking forward to here? We're looking forward to a total renewal. It says that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. What Paul's getting at here is the best thing that you've experienced so far is just a foretaste. You're barely getting an appetizer. You're barely getting a tiny little pink spoon foretaste of the gallon of ice cream that is to come. That your actual encounters with God by the Spirit right now are literally just foretastes. The best is yet to come. It only can get better. That what we're dealing with right now is just a partial renewal, but what we're going to eventually get is a total renewal. That God has redeemed our souls. He has adopted us um, internally, but we're looking forward to this bigger picture redemption that we await the redemption of our bodies. We await eagerly the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, it says in chapter 20, in verse 23. That it's not just 
spiritual renewal. It's not just separation from sin. It's actually literally our bodies being made new. And it's not just our bodies, but the entire space in which our bodies inhabit the whole of creation. Total renewal. So often we think in churches that the goal is to escape the hell that is earth. And Jesus is actually saying, no, I'm going to get the hell that is on earth, off of earth, and redeem all things. Like my son said the other day, when, my, when, my, uh, when I go like probably four or five days without trimming my face, I get kind of this gray looking chin strappy thing, you know. And my son looked at me, he pointed at my chin, and he said, does that, does that hurt? And I said, Right here it does. (laughs) Right here it hurts. You know, I signed up for uh, a new gym membership the other day. And the guy asked me um, if my, I said I have two kids that are going to join the gym as well. And he started talking to me like I had uh, teenagers. It's like, I'm like barely 30 years old. What do you mean I have teenagers? Like, I don't like, you know, just like people thinking I'm older than I am. I'm like, I used to get, People tell me, oh, I, I thought you were younger than you are. Now I'm, people are thinking I'm older than I am. I kind of limp around. Someone said, like, what's going on? What, what, what hurts? And I was like, what happened? I'm like, nothing happened. You know, my left knee hurts. What for? I don't know. I don't, like, that, like, I don't want to, like, minimize this, but uh, in the new creation, there will be no more gray hair. There'll be no more my left knee kind of hurts. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more tennis elbow. There'll be no more uh, stub my toe. There'll be no more ingrown toenail. There'll be no, like all of these like low grade annoying things all the way up to these massively huge, no more interpersonal conflict, no more more, uh, malignant cancer, no more loss of eyesight, no more no no more strokes, no more no 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 more amnesia, no more uh, all like all like big stuff, small stuff, all of it, redemption of our bodies, and it, like no more sunburns, no more my feet got burned on the hot sidewalk, no more um, my steering wheel was hot out, you know, none of that. No more having to listen to people talk about how they ran a marathon. (laughs) Because we will run and not grow weary. And it will be unimpressive when someone runs a marathon. (laughs) Like, we don't even know what that's like. What will it be like to not have the ongoing experience in, in big ways and in small ways of the fallenness, of the brokenness of the fabric of creation. James Dunn said like this, creation itself must be redeemed in order that redeemed man may have a redeemed environment. Some of you experience this, like you, you meet Christ and you love Christ and you're like made new and then you go into a chaotic or, or cancerous work environment or home environment and you're like, man, this like gets on you and it's difficult to like exist as a Christian in like a, a system that's designed to support and create sinfulness and you're going like, man, you won't even have to have tension with the difficult like systemic cultures that like don't value God's word and like it'll be every environment, every space, every, every relationship will be redeemed. Absolute, total 
renewal. That's what we're waiting for. And this is what it leads us to this, this work of hopeful waiting. The word waiting here occurs three times. Creation is waiting. Uh, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. Uh, verse 24, it says, For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, but we hope for what we do not see. We wait for with patience. It's wait, it's wait, it's wait. Now waiting can go really two directions here. There's waiting for test results. Unpleasant, uncomfortable, anxious. What will it, like, Will it be, am I going to, is it going to go well? Is it going to go bad? Is it going to be good news? Is it going to be bad news? That's like anxious waiting, insecure waiting. There's a second type of waiting, which is waiting for pain to go away. I cannot wait for that Tylenol to kick in. I cannot wait for those people to go back to where they live and stop staying at my house. You know, I cannot, I cannot wait for this sermon to end. You're like, there's like waiting for the pain Waiting for the pain to end. Like there's anticipatory pain. You know, waiting for, like I've, I've sat with like people, family members, other people who there's like, there's this severe chronic pain and there's like this, we can only give you a dose every four hours and three and a half hours hits. And it's like every moment is like excruciating as the pain builds, as you're waiting for the next wave. Like there's waiting for relief. And then the third type of waiting, which is the, I just put the brownies in the oven. Waiting. The vacation is next week waiting. The waiting that lightens the mood and makes it easier to be kind and helps you overlook petty offenses because you're like, I won't be here in a week, so whatever. You know, and like there's, there's like this, this waiting that is hopeful, looking forward, anticipation. And all three of those types of waiting are legitimately waiting, right? The first one, like anxiously awaiting test results, Christians do not have that with Christ's second coming. There is no test result. There is the verdict already rendered on Christ on the cross, guilty in our place. Nobody here is awaiting test results on their, on their position with God, if you are in Christ. <laughs> Just want to be very clear about that. If you trust in the blood of Jesus, there is no awaiting on your results with God. But the other two types of waiting, waiting we absolutely are dealing with. We are both waiting for the pain to end, for the hostility to end, for the suffering to end, for the difficulty to go away. The Psalms are full of prayers like, how long, O oh Lord, will you let this go on forever? What's taking you so long? What, like, what are you waiting for, God? Because I'm waiting for this pain to end. That is part of the waiting that we do. The other part of the waiting is the anticipation, the excitement, the looking forward, the having a paper train, a paper, uh, whatever it's called, the, the tearaway thing that it's like, how many more days left of school? I can't wait to summer break. There's excitement. We're hope-shaped people. We're always waiting. Like one of, the, one of my worst mentors, the best advice he ever gave me was always have your next vacation planned. Because <laughs> just a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, it like energizes you to keep being faithful in the moments that you're in because you have something to look forward to. And that's both forms of waiting here in this text. That we're waiting because we are groaning in this pain of childbirth, which again represents all forms of like, why is it like this? 
but we're also waiting for this total renewal, this absolute hope, this excitement at the same time. Now, waiting is work. A lot of times we think that waiting is not doing something. Waiting is always preparation, praying, standing in the gap, right? We end up uh, doing a lot of Daniel Tiger in my house because I don't lead my house. My children lead my house, it seems like. Daniel Tiger, you know, if you guys, he has all these little songs. One of his songs is, grown-ups come back, right? And it's like trying to help kids who are nervous about his mom and dad getting to come back. You're like, well, we have a song, grown-ups come back. You know, I see these kids at the park playing and one of like the three-year-olds is like, where's mom, Christ? And my son goes, grown-ups come back, right? I'm like, that's evangelism. That's what we are doing. We're all like these children telling other people, hey, dad's coming back. Don't like, we'll, we'll be okay. But also like dad's coming back. Like you better be prepared. Like it's be watchful, be prepared. He's coming back. Are you right with him? Are you going to come back and be found out doing what you're not supposed to be doing? Like get ready. This work of preparation is part of the process. Like I've, I've heard like the metaphor shared a, a, a ton of different times. If you have two farmers, uh, they both pray for rain. One prays for rain, digs the trenches, plants the seeds, pulls the weeds. The other farmer prays for rain, does nothing. Which one was waiting appropriately. Well, it's the work of preparation is part of the work. Like when we're having people over to our house, if they're coming over at five and it's four o'clock and I'm sitting on the couch doing nothing. And my wife is like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm waiting for them to get here. It's like, well, do you need help waiting productively? Because there's stuff to do. You know, we have, there's kids stuff everywhere. You know, there's cleaning. And so do you need help finding something to wait with? You know, (laughs) know, like there's, you know, like waiting is not doing nothing. Waiting has everything to do with doing the work of preparing. This is of praying, of, of, of sharing our faith, of, of being productive. And in, in, uh, in Jeremiah 29, it's talking about waiting for the exile to end. And, it's, and what the, the exhortation is build houses, take wives, have children, plant gardens. It's like waiting includes the work of preparing for the return. It's not doing nothing, but it's doing something on purpose. And it says the hope that is seen is not hope. Way too often, what we're longing for, what's energizing us, what's driving us is seen hope, right? I see someone else's life and I go, I want my life to look like that. I hope my life will look like that. That's not biblical hope. That's comparison, which is the thief of joy. Most of us have no imagination for the future. So we just compare other people's uh, life to our life and go, I hope my life was like that instead of like this. And we hope for things that other people have. I can't wait until my life looks like that person. And that's, that is not biblical hope. That is biblical jealousy. And it is actually a sin. What we're talking about here is hope that's rooted in a certain future. Now, uh, hope is not wishful thinking. Wishful thinking is believing the Phoenix Suns will ever win an NBA championship. That is wishful thinking that is not biblical hope. It's folly. It's dumb. Give up. Stop thinking that's going to happen. I'm talking to myself here. So just so, just so you know, but hope is certainty rooted in the promise someone gives on the basis of their character. It is a true and stable future reality that we're anticipating and looking forward to. What he says is you're hoping for all the stuff that you see. Your hope is too small. Your hope needs to be bigger. We're hoping for what we don't see. 
something that's beyond imagination, something that's better than what you've even experienced, something that's better than anything anybody else has ever experienced. If your ceiling on hope is living somebody else's life, your hope is not too high, your hope is too low. We hope for what we do not see and we wait for it with patience. We're looking forward to the elimination of all of the brokenness and rebellion against God's design. That we will participate in God's future reality uninhibited, connected to him forever. And that's more than just a little light at the end of the tunnel. That is a blasting visual uh, shadow casting reality that uh, actually helps us give perspective on all of the difficulties of this future moment and world. See, hope is not looking past our problems. Hope is looking through our problems because God is at work in history and he is bringing about the future that he has promised one day at a time. So what would it look like if we were a more hopefully waiting community? What would that do for us? Well, we'd be productive. We would be contributing. We'd be prayerful. We would not allow our definitions of successful life be defined on basis of comparison of other people's lives. We would be awaiting the person of Christ who's gonna make all things new with legitimate excitement. The word eager is in here twice. With eagerness. The best vacation, the best situation, the the best thing leaving your life, the best thing coming into your life. This is what we're looking forward to. Hope that is not seen. So here's my hope for us, is that we'd be better hopers. That we'd get rid of our wishful thinking and replace it with hope. That we'd get rid of our complacency and replace it with hope. That we'd look past our current realities, grieve them, lament them, be faithful in them. But ultimately, we'd see that God is bringing about the world that he has promised and we get to be part of that. So I hope that you all get better at hoping. Let me pray for you. Jesus, help us. I pray that your spirit would assure us of your love for us. God, as we grieve and uh, continue to suffer um, all the ways that the world has disappointed us. I pray that we wouldn't just pretend that's not real, but we can uh, consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. God, help us uh, root our sense of self and our sense of future in the promises you made. In your name we pray, amen.